0: This week, with everybody stuck inside, we're going to help you with our tips on running D&D in the theatre of the mind. Maybe you're playing a game of a Discord, or maybe you're using Roll20. Either way, these tips will help you out. Welcome to We Speak Common. Ben Jose F <laughs> We are back oh, here again. And, oh my God, fingers crossed we sound a lot better.
1: Oh, I hope so, Ben. It's a, it's a, it's a, a new world, you know, a new world that we live in
0: honestly i had um like big brain moments when i was trying to sort this out over the week um and i felt like i felt like a proper little hacker it was so good so
1: obviously i felt i felt like i was setting up a minecraft multiplayer server and that's the degree of of complex uh technological breakthroughs we were having good callback as well i like that um yeah you just just feel like you were a, a hacking god <laughs> when you figured out how to do that back ba- in the day
0: bear in mind as well that like i was the only um it was the only like pc game that i'd probably play because i was never a pc gamer and um it, it was like the first time i tried to install mods on anything so
1: i felt like a god when i got mods working as well i don't think i don't think it's that hard now but gosh, you had to port forward and oh. it was uh, it was a it was a whole palaver yeah my mom would be like
0: but why why are you in the router what are you doing <laughs> <laughs> i like, mum, I'm trying to get my
1: Minecraft server to work. Come on, this is important. There was always that fear that you were going to collapse your entire internet and it was just going to be <laughs> game over from, from there on
0: out. Yeah, yeah. So um, basically the issues last week, uh, I realised that my mic drivers weren't working, so I kept rooting back to the, the built-in laptop microphone, which is awful. So this is my actual microphone now, which helps. I'm also actually... In my bedroom which is a much smaller room um so there should be less echo um and uh, stuff like that you're recording your end too, just be safe so yeah
1: yeah I'm, I'm actually in my bedroom and my um pc is mm-hmm. next me and has basically a cooling system installed in 2015 i think oh god here we so, go um i've just basically thrown a dressing gown over it and I hope it doesn't overheat (laughs) Uh, and dampen some of that sound I think it's worked a little bit that sounds like a really bad idea sounds like a fire hazard (laughs) I don't like that it's fine it's fine i'm just not going to stress the cpu too much um and we'll, we'll be fine so uh, <laughs> well yeah. if, if this works what we what we found out is that at a pinch we can record
0: without being in a studio so that's always a good sign so yeah um that that bodes well for the future of of the podcast if if there ever is one um <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. what i want to talk about today joe is something that we have touched on Many a times, but very briefly. And I thought in the current climate, it would be a very good time to talk about it as a main topic. And I've actually had quite a few people message us about it. So, Joseph... Is that Paladins? Why it's, can't you that? it's not Paladins, no, unfortunately. I hate to, to burst that bubble. Um, it's Theatre of the Mind. Uh-huh. So we play every game, Theatre of the Mind. And even when we're in person, we and we sat around the table we might have maps and we might have handouts but everything else is theater of the mind there's no minis there's no battle grids or anything like that and if there are it's only very rarely i think maybe we've used them a handful of times like five or six mm. and they're special occasion things so i thought what we could do is talk about how to run a game theater of the mind effectively but also what are like tips and tricks are to keep it flowing and and what things you should and shouldn't be worrying about because with a lot of people yeah. playing online um a lot of people are rightfully going to things like Roll20 and Fantasy Grounds and a lot of people can spend time and get into that. There are also a lot of people like me who am still working from home and don't have a lot of time to learn those systems and I've never really got into them. So I'm like, well, I don't want those. I'll just run Theatre of the Mind. So I thought if we talk about it, we can show that you can still play if you're at home in isolation um, and you don't need uh, a system for it if you don't have the time to learn one.
1: Yeah, I mean to be honest like when it comes to minis or that sort of scale of using kind of models and things i've never really bothered with it because by the time i've decided okay i need a map and some grid squares to track this scenario because things are getting too complex it's generally because i have so many units like i would never would never have enough minis anyway Mm. or it's over such a a long distance. Like, I keep thinking about that one I tracked, which was like the ship fight. That was over like 150 feet in game, 200 feet. Like, so I'd need like quite a massive map to accommodate that uh, if I was gonna use minis, just because of the scale. So you haven't need a massive map or you need to tone everything down. So I ended up doing that on roll 20, which was fine. And uh, it was really a basic outline of what was going on. I think it's also it's pretty useful as well if you've got a really large party size i mean obviously i know critical role uses maps all the time Mm -hmm. i think part of that is is for the viewer as well Mm -hmm. but um it's also because they've got like a party of seven so that's quite a lot of player characters and npcs all to track um, and when you want to use very exact abilities. Um, I think when you've got a smaller party size, it's a lot easier just to say, okay, I do this fireball and the DM can go kind of just eyeball it, you know, and just go, okay, uh, yeah, you're going to hit one of your own allies and four of the guys, and the guy's like, okay, that's fine. You know, yeah. you, can, you can sort of just uh, adjust things in your head a little bit and um, sort of estimate how things are going to be. And generally, you know as long as you're you're trying to be as fair as possible with it I think most players will be quite happy with that Um, sometimes it will sometimes it will work in their favour and sometimes it won't
0: yeah and I think that's one of my main the main points I want to get on I do want to say first of all like in no way am I saying that you shouldn't use minis and maps because there are so many times and I thought oh I really want to make a good map or I really want to get minis out but to be honest I don't have many and I don't have any, I don't have anywhere to store them either is the main thing like I could buy some and I do have a few you know I've got into painting and making minis and I, I enjoy that but I just don't have enough and and I, I don't have any like nice tile sets or anything and I'm not the best crafter and I know there's lots of YouTube tutorials. it's a lot of time and effort and if you want to get into all of that then by all means go for it but if you're running Theatre of the Mind I think my first thing is is that you need to not focus on the um, sizing and the rulings of areas and actually I think relax a bit on those and it might be difficult at first to do that if you're a very rules orientated person or a rules orientated group but if you're running theatre of the mind you're not going to know exactly where everyone is at every one time because you've not got it down there in front of you unless you track it and that is another way of doing it but if you're going to um, relax a bit you have those moments where the wizard might be like oh i want to place a fireball but i want to place it like back a bit and up um and you can you can just say yes and and go for that and and sort of run along that rule of cool kind of um mentality there are some things you can do to enhance that as well other than just say like you know oh i want to be able to shoot him and can i see around the corner and instead of being like oh no you you can't because look at where you're placed you can still say "Mm, no but and yes but and and my point really is it's a good way uh, it's a good time to lean on those improvisations those yes buts no buts um uh, yes or no or those those phrasings um how do you mm-hmm. feel about that, Jay? Because you're, you're quite a rules-focused player.
1: Well, I think it has its pros and cons. I mean, when you lay everything out on the grid um, and you know exactly where everyone is, it does give you opportunities as a player to do very creative things in a more kind of war-game-y scenario um, and use your abilities a bit more exactly. And sometimes you can eke out a little bit more benefit from them than you otherwise would mm. but i often find at least with the way i dm it may be different um with other dms and how i suppose lenient they are but i would generally find if i mapped everything out my players would probably get less value out of their spells and whatnot than they do now because just as a dm and my uh, sort of Style, if I think okay, he's going to do this fireball when he's going to get three, but is this and you know What about that fourth guy? Is he in it? I'm probably more than likely inclined to say yes, you know, yeah. Um, just because I, I, I generally feel like it's more fun if the players are doing more powerful, more awesome stuff, you know. Um, I it enhances the game for me, and I feel like I'm you know, I have the skills now to challenge my players anyway, so I can. Ensure they're they're getting a very heightened sense of their abilities, but also still giving them a you know a difficult time some of the time. So I think in that sense, it really depends on your DM as to how much you'll get out of it. And I think it also depends on the style of players. I mean, our players, I'd say probably bar myself, are not too focused on. Um, the 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 exact nature of a lot of the spells and abilities and stuff like that but if you've got like a a group of people from like a more warhammer background or something like that you i think you'll probably find that they want exact measurements and things because then they can strategize to use those things quite uh yeah efficiently um which you you can do less of in theater of the mind like for instance if you map out a, a dungeon or whatever you know the wizard can drop down a fog cloud or whatever and know that it's going to perfectly block off this choke point, you know, or exactly here. So the the enemies have to move around it this exact many squares, which will waste their turn, you know, whereas in, in theory of the mind, yes, you can say the distances and things like that, but it's never going to be that exact, you know, and the DM's always going to have to judge it. Oftentimes, in theatre of the mind distances become a little bit more abstract because generally for most player characters and and monsters everything revolves around 30 feet it's like is it within uh, 30 feet if yes I can get there and attack this turn. If not, I'm going to have to dash or, yeah. or whatever. You know, do something else in my action. So that's really the only key number that matters: is can I get to this person within this one round and still use my action? Mm. Um, so it becomes almost a bit easier for the DM. You don't you don't need to worry about the distances too much. You just need to know that distance. You know, um, whereas in a grid-based system, it's a little bit different. You're going to be mapping everything out exactly um that's why i find it a little bit crushing in uh in the grid basis you know when you someone's 35 feet away from you and you're like damn yeah Uh, Yeah. and that's always a bit disappointing whereas you can pretty much avoid that in um in theater of the mind so I they, think have both got, they have both got their pros and cons. Something
0: that you said that, that struck a chord with me when you brought up maps and knowing, you know, that oh this fog cloud will perfectly cover this choke point and stuff like that. I think one one I was gonna call it a caveat. I'm not sure if it is a caveat. I don't know if that's the right word, but one thing that I one rule that I sort of go with in my mind is that when playing with theatre of the mind, you don't need things like maps and you don't need things like uh, exact layouts but they do add to... The game, and they do add. They are add They're additions rather than necessities. And I think if you are running Theater of the Mind and you're coming from a, a table that usually, when you're running, um, has maps and and layouts and big dioramas on the table, then have those exact maps because you, as the DM, can use those to keep track of where people are and where things are in the room and 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 those choke points and things. But what I'm what I'm saying is that and and i think it comes with that point of that 35 feet rule joe is that you you relax that side of it but keep those exact layouts in your mind for when you're remembering where things are in the room because i tend to find as a dm that if a character has uh, or a player sorry has said like oh I'm, i'm i'm gonna run across the room i'm gonna duck behind that pillar and then i'm going to uh use my bonus action to hide and uh, then uh, shoot my bow. Like, ah, oh, that's a really cool mental image of this slender, um, you know, thief running across the room, pulling out his short bow or his crossbow and popping out from behind a pillar and, and, and getting a good hit and doing a lot of damage. Like, that's a really cool fantasy. But if you're looking at the exact map and it's like, oh, well, there's no There's that like five foot difference or, oh, we can't really do that because of this wall or something. On the table, they might go, oh, ah, yeah, I can't do the thing I want to do. In theatre of the mind, they've thought it out. They're thinking this is going to be really cool. You as the DM can relax that a little bit and say, do you know what? Yes. If you have stro- if you struggle with that and you think, ah, oh, but really they shouldn't be able to do that. That's where your yes, but comes in. And you can say, yes, but you're going to have disadvantage because the wall is a slightly bad angle or something. And you can yeah, add I, in those do things. More
1: bargain. You do more bargaining in... Um theatre of the mind you know with with the DM Um, and a player can you know request to do something you can go back and forth and and come to this sort of middle ground that's you Mm. know enough realistic enough cool enough what they were trying to do in the first place Mm. to sort of make everyone happy Um, and I I, I do agree that theatre of the mind often uh, leads the players down more narrative focused and sort of kind of explicitly described actions as opposed to on a grid where it is kind of just like picking up a chess piece and moving it, you know? Yeah. It's, a, it's a little bit more different. And even though a grid is more exact, it's a, in a way a bit more abstracted because you're... It's it's another barrier between what's going on in the narrative in this sort of imaginary world that everyone is conjuring up, you know, and, and the decisions the players are making. You have to kind of transform what you want to do into the language of sort of the war game. Mm. um, And then that gets transferred back into the narrative. Um, Whereas you kind of cut out the middleman there when you just play Theater of the the Mind. And I think it makes things a little bit more spontaneous. Items can kind of uh, appear as needed. You know, um, a player can say, is this in the room? Now, yes, you can still do that with a map. But again, I think that's just... Sometimes there can be a slight disconnect there because things are already laid out. Um, and I, for me, I I'm I not saying the the DM to just be completely, you know, kind of uh, Lucy, loose busy, and non- nondescript with their world and what's happening. I like to plan out things meticulously before mm-hmm. I run an encounter, and I don't because I don't want to cheat the players. Just so I don't want to cheat myself. I don't want to change something to either benefit or um, hinder them. If it's not there originally, so I feel like I'm I'm kind of cheating us both out of a a realistic game experience if I do that. You yeah, know. Yeah. But it's more about um, accounting for the limitations of a DM's imagination because as a dm you can't think of everything right Mm. when i imagine most of my scenes they're in like low detail you know (laughs) everything's on low settings (laughs) you know (laughs) popping yeah because i i can't uh, account for everything you know and i have a lot going on in my head at any one time as a dm so my my spaces unless i've really thought about them for a long long time um they're going to have the, the basic geometry and who's there and a certain theme and flavor. Yeah. You know, yeah. there's going to be a feeling to them, but it's the details not going to be there. So then when someone says, Oh, are there any sconces on the walls I can grab or whatever, you know, I might not have actually thought about the lighting. I know how it's lit, but I don't really know the physics of how it's lit. So I can think, yeah actually yeah there is that would make sense so i can decide that that is how it's lit there and then yeah and that's not me changing the scene to benefit the players or whatever that's just a player coming up with something that makes sense that i haven't perhaps thought too deeply on.
0: I think as well that comes in with when you've got a, a diorama in front of you, your players are going to look at that and assume everything that's on that diorama is in the room. So you might not have a chandelier mini that you can hang over the top of a of an elaborate hall setting that you've made, and you might think oh, I, I, I want the players to use that chandelier, like, let's have a full vr moment. I'd love for someone to swing off that chandelier and, and attack someone. That'd be really cool. But if they're not seeing that on the table, they're going to forget it's there. Whereas in Theatre of the Mind, because you are, and, and it's the nature of D&D, when you're in combat, you're going round each character, you tend to describe the room a lot because people say, okay, well, where is where is everything now? How has what's just happened changed the scene? So you re-describe the room often and you keep reminding the players like, oh, there's a chandelier there and it's... Uh, hanging right over the boss and they think oh okay i'm gonna cut the chandelier and let it fall um so it adds for that more creativity i think um one thing i did think when you were talking was um we were talking about you were talking about um thinking about it in in more of a game uh, gameplay way or at least that's where my mind went when you were talking and i I wonder if you think maybe there's uh, a difference between the way players maybe not all but but many look at the economy system and how the game side of D works when they've got an actual grid because in my mind i i feel like having an actual grid in front of you for playing when combat comes out but not for role play makes a big harsh difference between that free form role play and that in combat i have actions i have economy i have movement that kind of stuff
1: yeah, I mean, as a player, I'm kind of always thinking about that anyway because mm. I'm you know trying to eke the most out of my uh, my character at any one time. It it makes me think about the world in different ways uh, because especially playing like a rogue recently, right? In theater of the mind, I will often ask about more details from the DM, get more details of the scene because a lot of my abilities are contextual yeah um, obviously especially hiding so i will ask how a room is lit what the shadows are like etc whereas if it was for some reason even though you can do it like all of this stuff you can do on a grid you just tend to do less of. and I, I i suppose i don't really know why that is i just think it's the grid is a bit of a barrier there to doing some of this stuff mm. um so it's if you've got a really you know a great party who wants to do that you, you still can do it with a grid setup and minis etc but i just find from my own experience of playing and dming that players do that and me as a dm i do it uh, a bit less when there's a grid there and we tend to just rely on that as being the uh the adjudicator for all our actions yeah um and just take it verbatim and that's it you know without asking too much more in the way of details unless there's something very specific i need you know as a player yeah,
0: like if I'm if I'm a wizard, I might specifically want to try and find some cover to help my AC out while I'm firing firebolts off. Um, and if there's a grid and there's no pillars on that
1: grid, I might not think to hide behind one. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, so I suppose yeah, there's there's different pros pros and cons to it. I just I generally like theory of the mind because it's just it's easier for me. It's a bit more malleable, especially in the planning process. I don't have to. Um, I can change something a little bit last minute before we run a game or whatever, and I there's very little work for me to, to actually action that and put it in into the context of the world. I don't have to change any maps, etc. Yeah, um, and that's why I do it. So, and also, you know, I'm just a bit lazy, and uh, making loads of maps and things is is quite time consuming. <laughs> yeah. uh, yes, and I don't think it's the necessarily the best use of, of resources. I will make a map when I've got a an encounter that i've been planning for a while and i need i want things to to go down in a certain way and i want to make sure i'm i'm very clued up on the details or again if i have a very complex scenario which i know is going to be difficult to track mentally once the players get going and everything's moving mm-hmm. and, and in motion um, the other side i think as well is if
0: you're running um a pre-written campaign whether it's you know from wizards or it's a third party one you'll often get maps in there that, l- that are in that grid style that you would think oh i could copy this out onto a big rollout Chessex map or i could i could make the diorama that's a lot of effort and if you were running theater of the mind you can quite literally go to that map and have it in front of you while you're talking your players through the scenarios and through the the encounters and just have that map for placement in your mind so i find that it, it can it can cause uh, a, a quicker turnaround of playing pre-written campaigns too or at least in my experience it does
1: yeah definitely and i just it just feels more like DD to me which is a bit silly because <laughs> D you know, it kind of originates as a bit of a war game anyway. Well, yeah, that's where it has its that, roots. That's its evolution. Yeah. But I suppose my first exposure to D&D, which is playing Theatre of the Mind, we never mapped anything out. Um I first sort of got into D&D by like watching a bit of D&D and the people I was watching never really mapped anything out. Or if they did, it was just very much a, a very crude drawing, just to illustrate a certain point of the map. So everyone was clued in as to what's going on and mm-hmm. we're not all imagining different scenarios and obviously the less uh you draw things out the more confusion there will be at times you know and we often have it that each player's imagining the scene slightly differently and everyone's got doors in different places and tables in different places mm-hmm. and things mm-hmm. but oftentimes it doesn't really matter you know um and if it does matter and the detail becomes relevant to the scenario then you can just clarify it there there and then it's not too big a deal i i find um yeah yeah and i just think it gives it gives a little bit more buy in because the players as soon as you put a grid down and minis players don't have to actively start tracking anything anymore they don't have to you know that you can you can kind of switch off a little bit yeah and yeah. as soon as you switch back on for your turn you've just got to look at the map and you can see where everything is whereas uh, in theatre of the mind, you constantly have to be engaged in the scene. You have to constantly be updating that narrative in your in your head, you know. And what that does for me as a DM, it, it means my players are probably more engaged with what's going on. They're more likely to come up with creative solutions to problems. Mm-hmm. And for me as a DM, it means I have to con- I have to be so focused in the scene, which can be difficult because. Oftentimes, as a DM, I'm thinking about different permutations of the scene, where, where things might go. What I need to bring up, what I need to plan for, mm. and uh, you know, that's kind of a, I suppose, just a, a get good uh, <laughs> um, scenario. <laughs> yeah, just, just
0: get better at thinking about things.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, but it it does make me better when I'm I'm fully immersed in the scene. The one I can always go back to, which is one of my fa- you know one of my favorite scenes I done was that kind of avalanche scene on the bridge. Yeah, where it was coming in, and. I had a basic mechanic where, like, the avalanche was going to get there in three turns. I knew that was going to, that was how long it was going to take. But I felt like you, and obviously you guys didn't know exactly how many turns you had. But I felt like because I was so immersed in the scene and how I was describing it, and how much effort I put into describing it, because there was no other visual aid, you guys sort of know knew exactly mm-hmm. what, what was happening, you know. And you had a lot of information, whereas you wouldn't normally have that much, perhaps, on a grid. Ironically. So and for me, that scene went, went down much better in a kind of theatre of the mind setting. And I think we had like a rough, very rough drawing map of that just to begin with, but we didn't really use it beyond beyond that point. And I think that one worked out quite well.
0: I think I agree as well, because there's something about an avalanche, which when imagined is is so much bigger than you could actually make it look or feel on a map or a grid anyway. I mean, there are yeah. ways to do it, but I think it's tricky. Um, for a reverse kind of... Uh, perspective on that when i'm running encounters in uh not small spaces but because that was quite a big open one but uh, I, i'm i'm thinking of the warehouse encounter at the start of water dragonized with the kenku um it's a smaller more enclosed space and you you had four or five um adversaries in there and there were five of you or four of you uh no five of you I mean and five. i um I find for me that I'm constantly thinking like instead of like what do I need to think about in terms of running the game I actually put my mind in the space of each of the enemies and I'm like okay what can they see what do they know where are they going to go and I just do that as I move around the combat and round the rounds in fact to to see what those different permeations and what those different outcomes look like so and that that I think is something I do more in theater of the mind than with grids because I I'm um, having to put myself more in their their viewpoint than i would if i was looking at a grid and i don't know if that's just me or it, and and my style or whether that's um, um uh, uh you know for and felt throughout but when it's on a grid i just look down at the grid i look at their space and their line of sight and i go oh they'll probably move here and fire there whereas when it's theater of the mind i have to imagine what that's that place looks like and i have to get myself in their mindset and then work out where they're going to go. Mm. And that is one of those things of, oh yeah, you just get better at it over time, but the more you do it, the better you get and, and the better running those encounters and any encounter becomes for you.
1: Yeah, and, and what's weird is you can, everything we're saying about these two methods of play, you can utilize in in both systems. Oh yeah. Anything, any advice or whatever we're talking about here, can be migrated from one way of doing it to the other but it's just this is just our opinion on how we feel when we're playing in these two systems a lot of it's based on how you feel and just your experience on how things go and everything we're saying here is just how things tend to go when you're using one system over the other which is it's strange because of how you think about it you know you can just as easily okay i'll imagine what it's like from this PC's point of view even though I'm using a grid etc mm-hmm. and the grid should just help me it shouldn't hinder me in doing that but for us for some reason it, it does you know so your mileage may may vary with it and you may have very different um, outcomes to using these different types of play but for us each one kind of represents a different thing and they can be used in powerful ways because I find whenever I draw like a, a grid or whatever the players know something different's happening mm. you know they know there's something slightly special might their first assumption is okay oh, hang on joe's actually spent the time to make a map why has he done that you know <laughs> there's probably something going on here mm-hmm. um you know this, we're hearing the boss battle music what's what's happening um and so i can kind of use that in a powerful way in a bit of a more like a meta sense that whenever i draw a map the player's are like oh this is a bit of a a special encounter you yeah know, i, need to pay, I to pay attention I, I always do that i always think about on a
0: meta level how my players will react to something different so um i have always had this uh I, i'm saving it for a very specific i call it a mini it's not a mini it's a huge model that i don't own but i know where to get one and and i know it would take me a lot of time and effort to to paint and make um but my my one v- version of that is at the end of Tim of Annihilation, I have the perfect mini that I want for a Serac. And I want to be able to bring him out and put him on the table. Not to use on a grid, just to put him in front of you so you can visually see him. Because that, for the players, would be like, oh my god, this is big. I mean, obviously, they're going to know it's big because he's like the boss. But it, it adds to that. And so every time I'm doing something regardless of whether it's you know in the norm or out of the norm for us i'm always thinking about how the players will react not the characters because that will add to or hinder to their enjoyment um like for example joe when we had that that brief moment of the the dual dm thing where james started suddenly took over and i was a player in my game where i was dming and and i thought okay this could be really cool but how will it hinder and how will it aid the other players and that that um fores- foresight and that that thinking will just make you a better dm anyway if you think on a meta level
1: as well as a non-meta level mm. yeah no definitely and when you begin to think on that level about different changes to your game and how that may affect not the player characters but the players and their sense of what's going on and the general feeling you get when you play the that's something i often think about it's just what is the vibe that I'm giving off right now mm. as a DM? What is, what am I trying to achieve? What am I trying to make the players feel? And just a slight change like that can make, um, yeah, can get throw a spin on things. I often find, uh, sort of ironically, that using minis, especially for large creatures uh, and big bosses and that sort of thing, for me, it never quite matches up to what. I have going on in my head obviously i said like you know i like to use grids and things for big bosses mainly because of the complexity of the encounter and how much i've got to track but not for actually showing the boss itself like the one you were saying is a bit of a special scenario because that yeah. that mini is, is quite special the one you're on about but for me like if i put a, a dragon mini down um next to my player character minis the size comparison it, it's generally not going to be what i want it's generally going to be too small because a lot like if i imagine the, this great big red dragon right i imagine it as being you know 140 foot long it's not going to match up to the mini uh, and i think things get condensed down and shrunken in size mm. when you use minis as well because on a grid a large creature is only going to take up four squares yeah you know uh, no matter, and the large creatures can actually vary massively in size in terms of the, the narrative. You can have, like, a, a big wolf spider or whatever, or you can have a uh, an adult dragon. You know, I think an adult dragon's large, I can't remember. But they vary a lot in size, you mm-hmm. know. Mm-hmm. But on the grid... They don't. They're they're the same. So you, you lessen the impact somewhat unless you're, again, very, very good at describing it and uh, players can get past the fact that, okay, we're just using this mini as reference, but this is actually how big it is. Don't forget that. And it can be done. You can work around it, but it just makes things a little bit more difficult to do so. I like the idea that when I'm using a, a storm giant or whatever, I want players to feel that it's 25 feet tall, you yeah, know, that yeah. it's, it's like three people stacked on top of each other or four people or whatever. Um, and that can be a little bit more difficult to do when you're um, not abstracting it. And unless you've got a complete wealth of different minis that act, uh, adequately show that size that also somehow fit into four four grid spaces, you know. <laughs> um, yeah. It can, be, it can be a little bit more difficult to do that, I think
0: yeah i agree okay let's um talk about our tips for running theater of the mind then because um i mean we've talked a lot about what we like and and what we don't like and, and things like that and i think some some hard tips and tricks for people who haven't done it before is is a good way to sort of round off the conversation um i will start by saying that uh my first tip is is what I said at the start of the episode, which is um roll with that rule of call and that that relaxing of some of the more uh hard and fast specific measurements and distances and things like that
1: mm mm-hmm. i I mean for me, I suppose one tip is think about distance in terms of what it can enable and disable the players and the npcs from doing in any given scene Mm. so you may lay your characters out and you don't necessarily need to know the exact distance you just need to know that okay the big troll is within range of the melee fighters to get an attack this turn but the uh the archers at the back are beyond 30 feet and so you're gonna have to dash or do something a little bit clever if you want to get to them and attack this turn you know that's all you really need to abstract from that scene to still allow for some tactical uh, advantages and disadvantages to the player and some options there for them to, and some difficulties for them to overcome. But the granularity of those distances and where those characters actually stand on the map, doesn't matter so much as what that distance means. You know, Mm. it's a, okay, our character's at 40 feet. What does that actually mean? Okay, well, it means I can't get to it this turn and also do an action. That's what it means. So that's the actual effect it has on the game. Um, so you're kind of taking distance out of the scene in a way in terms of you're removing that um, that step. You're just skipping that step and going straight to, okay, what is the, what's the consequence of this? Yeah. Now, obviously, you still need specific distances in certain certain things and and certain scenarios it's going to come up as being important but i when i'm especially when i'm planning the scene as a dm and trying to be tactical and and come up with interesting and creative encounters that's what i'm thinking about how are these guys laid out provide a, a challenge to the players and obviously the more you understand your own players abilities uh, the more you'll be able to cater towards them in terms of giving them uh, an interesting challenge that perhaps suits them and sometimes doesn't suit them that could be an an interesting um twist and challenge on on things as well i Mm. suppose the other thing is um when you're tracking creatures and things i like to kind of group them up in my mind so if i have you know uh, a few goblins and a few orcs and whatnot i might have okay i got a couple goblins here and i know they're I know they're shooting this character, so I know they're, they're they're 20 feet from this one character and they're shooting them. I, I just know that. What direction they're kind of in and where they relate to everyone else, maybe not too much important right now. I just need to know they're 20 feet from this character. And I know the five orcs are attacking the, the Paladin. So I know generally wherever the Paladin is and I've got a rough distance of how far these two player characters are apart, right? So you can sort of triangulate in your head mm-hmm. where each character is just based on a couple of um, different sort of bullseye reference points. Yeah. Um, and that that's how I met, sort of mentally track things in my head. And I just kind of group them up into little blobs, you know, in this fictional map I've got going on in my head. And that helps me to to remember stuff basically and just give a rough idea of where things are.
0: I would say then that the the that in terms of the distancing and and that that phrase of you, that you said you know you're you're taking that step out of the equation is that you really only need the distancing for um setting the scene and describing how far people are away from each other and and things like that and that's where that comes into play. Um, I would like to say my second tip is um i would like to say i'm gonna tell you what my second tip is joe i don't care what you think um my, my oh, second wow. tip is wow i know i know i'm sorry we've been so polite this episode i needed to be rude i just uh, uh, sure. <laughs> needed it um when you're describing um don't just save it for setting up the scene i think there's a mm-hmm. uh, a, a danger to And I think anyone can do it. I'm guilty of it too. Joe, you can be guilty of it at times where you set the scene up, you describe it beautifully, and then the encounter for the next hour sometimes becomes I move, I attack, I miss, I hit, I do X damage, next person. Um, When in theatre of the mind, if you really want to engage people, i find a good way of doing that is to continue to describe so uh, you know think imagine you're matt mercer because we've brought critical Roll up already and and you are uh, amazing at, at pose and and prose and setting things up and stuff like that and you can just describe everything so yeah okay the goblin is going to mechanically move their feet try and hit uh, does do some damage but when you're you know let the dice rolls happen find out how much damage the player does and then say or how much the goblin does to the player and then say okay the little goblin um sprints towards you uh, sweat licking off its body and it and it, and it brings its uh, great axe down cleaving on you but but missing slightly you know scrubbing the the metal plate of your arm um leaving s- uh, sparking in the air and, and you 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 are frightened by it you lose six hit points or whatever you know describe that and equally let your wizards or do it for your casters let them describe them using their material components and and how their spell looks and manipulates with the the space around them use that don't just be like oh we're in combat quick you go then you go then you go because that description is going back to a point i think you made earlier joe is what's going to keep people focused and keep their attention and allow them to draw that narrative in their brain
1: agreed
0: oh, that was oh, easy that was an easy one that was <laughs> easy peasy um i did have a uh, this is slightly less focused on theater of the mind and more focused on online pay but i had a message from someone on um reddit uh over the week uh I and peter <laughs> <laughs> who said they've gone to online play for the first time and just wanted some tips on how we do it so i'll just rattle those off because they kind of fit in i said uh for first time setting up um make sure you're reminding everyone that uh, chat requires a little more etiquette online you need to be careful not to talk over each other and be wary of dropouts things like that um he was having struggles i say he because it says peter um struggles with session length and going from playing like six hour sessions where they could have big things happen in the story to like two hour sessions yeah it might be tricky to fit a lot into so you've got to be um making it clear to the people playing that there's less amount of time which means the game's going to be more serialized maybe the plot won't progress in leaps and bounds but you can enjoy a closer look at some of the smaller things embrace them as well you don't want to lose stuff like that
1: yeah but it's also easier because you don't have to go anywhere yeah and just roll out of bed and play D anD D. I mean, that's what I that's what I did today. <laughs> so, you know, I, um, it, uh, I it's a lot. It's so a lot glad you're putting effort in, Joe. What? Oh yeah, yeah. It's a lot easier to sort of drop in and <laughs> and, and drop out, you know. Uh, so,
0: I mean, I mean, put it this way: I've played three sessions of D anD D this week, which is unheard of for me.
1: Yeah, it's it's just a lot easier, um, and scheduling's a lot easier as well because you can just grab a couple of hours of D on an evening whatever after work mm. whereas you you would not be able to do that normally if you have to coordinate with everyone to you know get go to each other's house and actually see each other and ugh, mm, i know oh, oh, socializing what a drag. oh my
0: god how are we all going to survive in the world when everything goes back to normal and we have to talk to each other face to face
1: jesus i'm just gonna i'm just gonna continue to isolate
0: yeah just um yeah uh, uh, forever yeah yeah, fair enough. Yeah. Um, I I would say that with with those those shorter sessions, you you, you know, it is going to feel different, but it gets easier with time, and I think you don't have to. You don't have to. I think. <sighs> what am i trying to say there's a problem (laughs) there's a problem if you think okay i need to now condense uh, condense a six hour session into two hours don't do that don't do that at all um you should still have that six hour session but break it up over those two hours and enjoy the closer look at the the smaller things
1: and as a dm you'll be forced to get really good at sort of dramatic climaxes and Mm -hmm. cliffhangers and and leading one scene into the next. So uh, sometimes you'll just have to make the, the ending of a session be the moving from one room to the next, the uh, yeah. finishing up of buying at the market, and somehow you have to uh, make that enticing for the next time you come round. But yeah. it's um, it can be done. I, I That's why I love uh, a little bit of a vignette. Mm. A little bit of a little, you know. Yeah, we, we know
0: you like your vignettes,
1: but uh, this is why I do them quite a lot because I play my game pretty much exclusively online, so there's a bit of a disconnect there. it has its own challenges of um engagement and buy in and the characters connecting with each other, etc. Because it is easier when you're all in the same room together, and so for me, vignettes are a way to well. There are lots of different benefits to them. I've spoken about before about exploring different parts of the world. And for people who don't know, I, I generally like to basically cold open my my games a lot of the time on a random scene that sometimes the players have absolutely, most of the time, they have zero context for. Mm. Um sometimes the scenes aren't even happening at the same time as the players exist in the world. I'm pretty sure I'd done a scene that was like 50 years old at one point. Oh, God. Um, <laughs> the, the, you know, So there's no context. But it just gives me an opportunity to provide a little bit of flavor from the world. Sometimes the the MP, the players will come across the NPCs from a certain scene or whatever, which I think is quite exciting. That and is a bit fun, of a, yeah. Like a whoa moment when they basically walk into a vignette that's happening that they've actually witnessed like forty sessions ago or whatever. <laughs> that can be quite fun. Um it can also be a big mind fuck though. Um it certainly can. That's so you, mostly what that's mostly what I use it. Yeah, you to, have uh, to, to mess with the players. Find the right time to do it and find the right no, just mess with them. Just confuse them. You know, but <laughs> here's the thing it can ha- make zero sense um and have absolutely no context. You may not even know what's going on as a DM. Mm. And the players will think it's genius. They'd be like, whoa, look at this grand plan. There's so much going on. That is... and I'm like my uh, am like, guys, it, it's, I don't know what's going on either. You know, <laughs> but you never tell your players that. Yeah, You're a know, chaotic keep, neutral DM. Keep up the illusion. But no, nah, I use that because um, on the short sessions, it gives me a chance to get the players brought back in. It's a little bit of... Because we may have finished the last session on them, like buying apples, you know. Um, so there's not a lot for me to work with to to get them spruced back up. But I can, if I can, do some exciting moment about a half stone, half frost giant walking through a snowy mountain, crying. That was one of my scenes once. Mm-hmm. Um, literal frozen tears falling from his face. Amazing. Um, the, pl- the players were like, "What the fuck is going on?" <laughs> um, I'm a little bit intrigued. And i so would um that, uh, yeah i would
0: say that you know don't feel like you have to end on a cliffhanger all the time though because i mean there are sessions in Waterdeep where you guys just shop and i'm like i don't know how i'm gonna <laughs> i can't end this on a fun dramatic cliffhanger i just have to end it on that nice you've had a lovely day you've you know you've restocked your shelves well done and and let the players go away and feel i don't know accomplished i mean we have sessions where we roll dices dice like twice so you know <laughs> it's uh
1: it's it's tricky sometimes um, yeah there's a bit of a a bit of an ebb and flow to it I suppose um and I guess if you're playing shorter sessions but more frequently as well there'll be just a bit of inherent buy-in because the players are they'll get more used to that routine of having this uh, a serialized approach where they know um, small bite ch- bite-sized chunks of the story are going to happen each session yeah and they get a bit more used to that. TV show-esque way of doing things as opposed to the kind of big blockbuster moments that happen every now and again. Mm. And I think that can be just as fun. And also it allows for different character moments. Players know they've only got like two hours, so they may spend a whole hour on a scene just talking or doing something uh, a little bit more uh, a- abstracted or, or less relevant to the story, but you can have those moments and they feel they feel a bit different. It, I think players they're okay to spend a, like a two-hour session just talking or having no combat or that or, differently they're they're okay to spend just a two-hour session just fighting you know mm. um and it feels a bit more natural than kind of doing sometimes it can feel more natural than doing both uh in, in a single four hour five hour session i think yeah it can feel a little oh. bit less fatiguing as well because you know playing dd kind of can get tiring you're, you're thinking quite especially as a dm you're thinking heavily for that, that into the, the those, duration uh, those dice they
0: become heavy in
1: your hands man they do they do mm.
0: okay well there's a lot there there's one more thing i want to do before we go off because i got an email uh yesterday from a guy called hugo to the the um the wispy common email and uh it's his topic isn't something we're talking about today but at the end of the email he said could you give a shout out to the old owl clan who are my regular d d group? That'd be amazing. So uh, big up the old owl clan. Big up the old owl clan.
1: I, I mean, why are they called that dragon? Do
0: I don't know. I'm going to have to ask him. I feel like maybe either one, one of them is playing uh, a weird owl race or two, one of them follows a god who is a big old owl.
1: That makes sense. I mean, I just <laughs> thought like, I just thought they'd dress up as like owl people. That's where my brain went. Maybe you know? they're like the owl people from that Batman story. The Court of Owls? Yeah, that's the one. Uh, no, I was thinking like they're just bad versions of the owl from Watchmen. You know, oh, they so, yes. so, so don't quite look as good.
0: Maybe and, their uh, D&D game is like that uh, really bad animated movie, The Guardians of whatever, and they're all owls oh i remember that yeah. yeah it wasn't bad that was great was it great oh maybe i just thought it was bad because i never actually watched it i just saw the poster
1: well, well wow 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 your integrity is just plummeting through the floor right now yeah i think well, maybe that might be a good place to leave it there then big up hugo and the owl boys (laughs) uh, hugo and the owl boys sounds like a really bad band i like it that's what they're known in many different parts of the world the old owl it's lost in in translation clan clan okay um tell us more hugo tell us more yeah email us more i want
0: i want more on that um we want the whole backstory why are they called the old owl clan okay uh wonderful well hopefully that's helpful to many groups who are playing um at home over the internet now and uh if it's not tell us what would be helpful you can tweet us uh, <laughs> at we speak common on twitter we are we speak common at hotmail.com if you want to email or you can contact us through our website we speak common.com if you see anything on reddit it's usually me so feel free to drop me a message um that's always good for have you have
1: you know like the cadence of these episodes has changed now we're just like sitting at our computers i find i'm a bit more lethargic i'm just sort of lounging as i'm talking you Mate, know, and, i uh, am quite there, there's, a, there's a different tone you know a different vibe
0: i am i'm sat on my bed so <laughs> so oh, I'm, these, I'm really chilled out
1: the, these are yeah these episodes are meant to be enjoyed with a, like a nice a nice brandy oh. a little uh we went very well, different ways there whatever. i mean equally is enjoyable <laughs> um, you know perhaps not for the mornings we're uh, recording these episodes yeah, to be but, fair uh,
0: it is five o'clock somewhere and it's ten past one so we're late for our D game as well
1: yes ben but you know i right now i don't have slippers on and i think that's what's changing my entire <laughs> outlook on life <laughs> um, yes.
0: we're all losing yeah. the plot we're going stir crazy all right well look this has been fun thank you joe we will um do another one next week um no ben thank you <laughs> is that how we end now is it yeah alright cool Bye-bye. bye bye thanks for listening today if you like the podcast do us a favour leave us a like or review on your platform of choice and share us with your friends you can get in touch with us on twitter at we speak common or through the email we speak common at hotmail.com the music in the podcast is street dancing by timecrawler82 and is licensed under an attribution license cc by nc You can find it on the Free Music Archive.